Those were live photographed images of the sun, not computer generated. Um, fascinating, isn't it? What a week to look into the heavens. I've been doing a lot of that these days. Um, the other day I got into my car. I like my car. It's old, but it's heavy smooth and I spent a lot of time in it and I was getting up to cruising speed and I started to notice a vibration in the old days we called it a shimmy <laughs> I miss Bill Ming I feel like I got a shimmy this morning without Bill for many of you who don't know Bill, he, for many, many years, long before I got here, stood at that gate back there and greeted people as they came in. He just made everything run smooth. That was Bill. We're going to miss him. I had a weird thought this week I shared with the early service. You'll allow me a few bizarre thoughts from time to time, but uh, you know how Peter is supposed to be always at the gate, you know, pearly gates. I just had this feeling that Bill kind of nudged up beside him this morning and said, I got this. <laughs> that would be Bill. So what I've been doing to kind of make my way through that is going out into the night sky and just looking up. My dad taught me to do that a long time ago. We've seen some starry skies, a couple of dramatic nights. Anyone see the lunar eclipse? A couple of you, it was beautiful, nudged my 16-year-old son out of bed about four in the morning a few nights ago. I didn't want him to miss it. And he got up, put on his rainbow dash robe, and came out into the driveway with me. And uh, we looked up into the sky and saw it was a great moment. And we still have quite a bit of light in our neighborhood, so I can't imagine what it's like being out, you know, way out in the country where it's absolutely dark and you look up and see that sky. So if you see the pastor out trespassing on your ground someday, if you live out in the country, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to get a little bit closer to what we just saw. But if you didn't look up, you missed it. I'm convinced that looking up helps Keep life in perspective. We can so easily stay focused on what's right in front of us that we rarely look up and see ourselves the way God has intended us to. As image bearers, actually, who were designed to live our lives in absolute surrender and worship of Him. One of my professors in seminary said, we live and you will serve in a culture that worships work, works at play, and plays at worship. The Psalms help us flip that. Particularly Psalm 8, which is where I want to invite you to go with me this morning. If you have a Bible this morning, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. And if you don't, there are some near you which we invite you to use or look on with someone who's next to you. Take the Bibles home with you if you don't have one. We'd love for you to have that. But the psalmist helps us take our gaze fixed on earth and look up for a new perspective. 
Psalm 8 in particular. The Psalms are teachers for us. How to worship, how to pray, how to make less of ourselves and so much more of God. You see, God is the object, the ultimate, the only object of our worship. And as we witnessed just this past week, both in the heavens and on earth, the awesomeness and fury of nature, we realize there is so much that is beyond our control. Yet God continually and graciously and lovingly draws us to an acknowledgement of himself. That's Psalm 8. I want us to read it together. I'll read it, follow along, and just listen to these words as David, this this great shepherd king, lifts our, our minds and our hearts from earth to heaven. He writes, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When you have a shimmy in your car, you need to take it in for realignment. Psalm 8 is a great realigning of our lives. It helps put things back into perspective. It resets our hearts and our minds from all earthly things. This attitude that I'm in control or that God is not near. Psalm 8 resets that. We live so much of our lives trying to convince ourselves that, that we really do have a handle on this. That we've got the corner on this situation. That somehow we realize that everything is ultimately beyond us. And what we need to do is to feel small but praise big. That's Psalm 8. Psalm 8 helps us understand that we are really small in comparison to the majesty and wonder of God. My family used to watch, uh, this is when I was really young now, like really young. We'd sit around this television, which was not color, it was black and white. And we watched a show called The Honeymooners. I get a witness out there. You're all too young here, aren't you? Uh, This was Jackie Gleason and his family on black and white TV. Anybody born after 1986, just Google it and it'll come up for you there. Ralph Cramden is a perpetually flustered but eternally optimistic New York City bus driver living with his wife Alice in a small Brooklyn apartment. And Ralph's best friend is sanitation worker Ed Norton. Anybody remember Ed? Who lives in the same building with his wife Trixie. Now we don't have names like that anymore. Isn't that a great name? Let's, let's name her Trixie. Isn't that great? We don't do that anymore. But her name was Trixie. 
Ralph longed for significance, or at least he wanted someone to acknowledge him. And often in a fit, he would say to his wife, I'm the chief. To which Alice would reply, you're chief of nothing. (laughs) Psalm 8 reminds me, reminds all of us, that we're chief of nothing. We're chief of nothing. David says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. David begins this great hymn with a focus on the sovereign majesty and control of the Lord. Two realms, both on earth and above the heavens, throughout the heavenly realms, and even higher than the heavens. His name is his character. It's his nature. It's what we have come to know about God because he has been gracious to reveal it to us. That he is good, that he is holy, that he is faithful and powerful, that he is true and perfect, that he is long-suffering and gracious, slow to anger and full of loving kindness. That is his great name that he has set throughout the earth and above the heavens. That's what David says. Now, somehow it seems reasonable to us that the revelation of God's name and his gracious nature are somehow known throughout the earth, particularly because we have such a passion for the world, for the gospel, for what we call missions. And though vast and in many ways unreachable, still thousands of unreached people groups still on the planet, we understand that his name could be made known in all the earth. We have witness of it. We have testimonies of it. We have people who come and speak here and share how people from all walks of life, every tribe, tongue, nation, have come to embrace this great God, receive his name, and offer up their whole lives as an expression of worship. That makes sense to us. It's reasonable. But do you know what David is is implying here? David actually declares that his name is not only known throughout the earth, but it is known and brings praise and solicits worships, not only in the heaven, but beyond the heavens, in the mysterious, unknowable reaches above the heavenly places. His name is declared, it is received, embraced, and it solicits worship. Now, who's there? What's out there? I don't know. David doesn't tell us. What he says is that your name, O God, is majestic in all the earth, and you have set your glory even above the heavenly places. Something out there is receiving the knowledge and revelation of the goodness and faithfulness, all-knowing, all-compassionate, merciful, loving, holy God, receiving that name, embracing it, and offering worship to His name. His glory is there. I can't explain it, but David declares it as he looks from earth to heaven feel small, but praise big. The response from above the heavenlies is worship. It's praise. 
It's creation in, in resounding, unison, offering praise to this great name. But David doesn't stop there. He, he brings us quickly back to earth. If, if that's not enough to convince you of this faithful, powerful God, then he brings us right down to the planet in verse 2 and says, And even through the praise of children and infants, you have ordained worship. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the heavens. The weakest, uh, the most insignificant in all of humanity, in Infants and children, you, O Lord, have ordained to worship you. They have received revelation of your character, of your nature, embraced it, and offered to you worship and praise. Infants and children, often unintelligible in their expressions, right? (laughs) It's worship, it's praise. From above the heavens down to the lowest of individuals on earth, God has ordained his name be worshipped and praised. And even the lowliest of human beings unknowingly honor the Lord when older, more sophisticated, and self-reliant adults often deny him. Now hold your uh, place there in Psalm 8, and let's go over to Matthew chapter 21. We were here a few weeks ago as Pastor Brett spoke to us on Palm Sunday, but it'll help us again get some perspective. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. He's in the temple. We saw this last time, verse 12. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame, also the weak, came to him at the temple and he healed them. Now watch this. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and heard the children in the temple courts shouting Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. See the contrast? The revelation of this person, this great name. The children got it. They were shouting Hosanna to his name. The adults... The reasonable, those who are in their sophistication, were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. And he brought up Psalm 8. Have you not read? From the lips of children and infants. You, Lord, have called forth praise. (laughs) How about that? It's praise. It's worship. Reportedly, the young child of an atheist couple once asked her parents, Do you think God knows we don't believe in him? For some of us, our atheism may take on more subtle forms. 
like not acknowledging him in determining direction or ever bow, bow, bothering to bow down before him before making plans for our future or for our children or lowering ourselves in humility before him to seek his purpose and priorities or maybe going for days, even weeks, maybe even months without ever opening his glorious word and allowing him to rule our thoughts and transform our attitudes, enable us in weakness, teach us to love our wives as Christ loved the church and to lead our families in holiness and to supply our every need. But not so the universe and not so the children who receive this great name, the witness of the majesty of this great name and offer everything in praise and worship in response. I'd so much rather my children acknowledge the Lord in worship and learn to submit their lives to him in reverence and awe than to receive everything coming to them or become convinced about how gifted and talented and resourceful they are at making life happen. They're going to learn either one from me and from us. We learn it from the psalmist. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now he goes on in Psalm 8 and verse 3 to consider the impact of this on his own life. Look at verse 3. David says, when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? For you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. David says, I consider the heavens when I go out into the dark sky and I look up and I see the starry host and I see the moon in its place and I see all of those blinking planets and I begin to reflect on that. I realize that all of that was done as the work of your fingers. Now that's remarkable, isn't it? David sees all of the heavenly creation as the work of the Lord's fingers. What a perspective. The vast, unknowable expanse of the universe, the moon, the stars, the planets, the myriad galaxies, the sun, are the works of the fingers of the Lord. David says God did all of this with his fingers. He didn't use his arms. He didn't use his whole body. He didn't put everything in force by, by kind of the force of his whole frame. No, David says, all of it, you, you, you did it with your fingers. Kind of an emphasis on, on this skill and, and ability to do it with, with just his hands, putting the universe in place. You ever thought about that? Everything he did with his fingers. <laughs> That's remarkable. Now, we were at the ball diamond all day yesterday, all day. They called it Jamboree, uh, the beginning of baseball and softball season down at Riley. And it was absolute chaos because 450,000 people came to that height. That's what it felt like. It was fun. The sun was shining, and they were cooking hot dogs and pretzels, and kids were everywhere. I mean, it was crazy. And um, some people had four or five kids, you know, all different diamonds. We had two. So Hannah was getting started over here, and Jonathan was over here, and 
things were going, and so I was kind of standing in the middle because I didn't want to miss Hannah up to bat, and I didn't want to miss Jonathan up to bat, and so I was kind of doing this, you know, kind of watching the crowd and going like that. And, and uh, Tracy's mom would don't make sure if Jonathan goes up to bat, you let me. Okay, okay, so I was trying to figure all this out at one time, right? Well, I'm sitting there standing behind this older lady, and she's just sitting in a chair. And she's got grandkids everywhere too, but she was just chilling. She had a Gatorade over here on one side and a couple kids out on the field. And I figured this was not her first jamboree. And so she's just sitting there and she pulls out of her bag this beautiful kind of knitted something or other. And she had these needles and she just started going like this. Pulling this and she'd tie this off and she'd go down. She'd look out and she'd cheer a little bit and she'd come back. She's doing this little stuff with her fingers. I'm just looking at that going, man, I'm out of my mind over here trying to keep this all straight. And she's just sitting there going with her fingers. No big deal. Man, it was beautiful. I mean, her body didn't move and contort. There were no sweeping movements, no heavy breathing or pausing for a break to kind of rest her muscles or wipe her brow. That would be me knitting it was effortless. Effortless. David looks out into the night sky and he sees a starry host. The blindness that he's like. Did that with your fingers. No effort at all. am I worried about tomorrow? Why are you? Why am I so in a knot about next week? Why are you? David said he, he did it with his fingers. It just made him worship did all that with your fingers, Lord, and you're still, you still think of me. You still care for me. In fact, you've made me a little lower than the angels. You've crowned me with glory and honor. Listen, we, we did not originate from some pile of goo or evolve from some monkey. Listen, we were crowned with glory and honor, knit together, created by the, the fingers of God. If he did all that with such little effort, don't you think he can manage your life, your stuff, guide your children, meet your needs, take up your cause? Yes, he can. David says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You, you set your glory far above the heavenly places. Praise him. He wrestles with that and he, he turns into a worshiper. You see, the problem is, at the beginning of time, when God set all this in motion, he ordained that we would oversee creation. That was his plan. You have crowned him with glory and honor, David says. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. Everything was to be put under the feet of humanity. Flocks, herds, animals, birds, fish, everything, oceans. This was all 
to be governed and overseen by, by man until sin. See, sin's dark veil covered the glory, shattered the glass. It tore through the wonder of creation and destined all of us to brokenness, to fury, to rage, to confusion and pain and suffering. And we've made an absolute blunder of God's original design. But yet he has restored it in the person of his son. That's the story of the New Testament, that God, in his great love, demonstrated that love toward us in that while we were in this mess, still sinning, lost in our fallen, unglorious state, Christ died for us. Because we blew it, God had to become flesh. God had to become man. He became the second Adam. The first one blew it. Second Adam came in the person of Jesus Christ, and he put all things back into place in his suffering and his death so that all things, the glory, could be restored. He put it all back as it was originally designed to be. You see, that's why, that's the context of Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul says, it is by grace that you have been saved. It's not by works. It's not human. We tried that. That was the original plan. It's not by any human effort. It is by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. Could we all just repeat that this morning? It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. We are his, here's the word, same word as Psalm 8, workmanship. Recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He thought of everything. It's what all creation needed. Perfect man to take dominion and restore glory and majesty and the majesty and the great name of God in all the earth and in the highest places even above the heavens. I have a question for you because it's a question for me. Are you still worried about your life? Are you still desiring to insist on ignoring him in whatever form of atheism you choose? The planets are unaffected. They got it. And they are in continual worship. Your children most likely have it too. The infants that are screaming and interrupting your peace are not. That's worship. They're worshiping. (laughs) Now, don't turn here. I I just want you to listen to the witness of Jesus. At first, this was confusing to me, but I don't know. And it still is, but the Lord brought some perspective. This is from... Uh, Luke chapter 12. I tell you, Jesus said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. 
And do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now listen to this. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Now, sparrows were currency. They weren't worth much. But they were useful. And in this story, Jesus is saying you could get four sparrows for two cents. But what about the fifth sparrow? Well, the fifth sparrow was just thrown in to get you to buy four instead of two. No huge loss to the seller. But we'll just throw it in so that you'll spend two cents instead of one. But even that fifth sparrow as it got thrown into the deal, Jesus said, was not forgotten by Almighty God. Aren't you worth more than a sparrow to God? Doesn't your life mean more to Almighty Creator God than fifth sparrow thrown in to sweeten the deal. Yes. 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 Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than countless sparrows says Jesus. Feel small. Praise big. Three words in response and then we're done. First of all, in light of the majesty and wonder of this great God who's revealed himself to us in all of creation, in the lips of babes, but ultimately in the person of his son, the only response is to repent of our selfish, controlling ways and surrender everything to him. Just tell him you're sorry. Second, release. Let go of whatever it is you're still trying to hang so tightly to. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's today. You don't want tomorrow to dawn. Maybe it's your kiddos. Release. Just, just let go. And finally, 
Restore. Restore him back to his rightful place as the only sovereign Lord, ruler of your life. He is Lord. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have declared your glory even above the heavens. What is our response? You can trust him. He's got it. got it. Let's bow and pray.